you for tuning in to The Trisha Goyer Show. I'm sharing my heart and answering questions about faith, writing, homeschool, big family living, and so much more. I'll also be digging deep into meaningful conversations with other authors, speakers, moms, and God lovers. I'm your host, Trisha Goyer, wife to John, mom of 10, author of over 80 books, speaker, homeschooler, avid reader, and mega nap taker. I'm so glad you're here. If you're like me and you love Christmas books, check out Have Yourself a Christensen Christmas, a holiday story from your favorite small town family by Susan May Warren. It's Christmas in the winter wonderland town of Deep Haven. Grace is worried about her husband's life-changing illness. Eden is facing devastating news. Casper isn't over his head, of course. Amelia is dodging a walk down the aisle. Owen, well, Owen just nearly died again. But it's Derek who has news that just might destroy the family legacy. This year, spend Christmas with your favorite small town family. Have yourself a Merry Christian Christmas. Available on November 25th at your favorite book retailer. Friend, are you curious about God's purpose for your life? And do you wonder if it's possible to discover it? We're going to be talking about that today. You might be even wondering if you've missed it somehow. I totally get that. Wouldn't it be amazing if you could know for sure that you're totally in God's will for your life? Well, you are not alone. All over the world, there are people just like you. They're wondering and they're wandering. At times, you question why you are here on earth and you have no clue what difference you could make. You want to be a person who can make a difference in the lives of others. But how can you do that when you even wonder how you can help yourself? Deep down, you have an inkling that the Bible has the answers, but sometimes you wonder how an ancient book can help with today's problems. Well, friend, I understand, and I'm here with good news for you. We don't have to figure out our whole plan for our future. We simply have to read God's word and do what it says. And that's where we find our purpose. And as we are talking about today, one of those purposes is sharing our stories and knowing that our stories matter. So I'd like to share with you an example of doing just that, sharing our stories and sharing how they matter. And this is an excerpt from my book called Walk It Out. And this is an amazing story of what can happen when we step out of our comfort zone and dare to do what God is asking us to do. In this case, a life was saved. Yes, I'm not (laughs) over-exaggerating. Because I was willing to step out of my comfort zone, a life was saved. So I'm still amazed by the story. And again, this is an excerpt out of my book, Walk It Out. So years ago, Robin Jones Gunn and I, who's an author friend, she came to Montana to speak at a women's event. And the night before the retreat, she and our friend Joanna Weaver, who's also a good friend, were staying at a condo that offered a few special amenities. We decided it'd be fun to soak in the hot tub as we gazed over the snowy landscape that surrounded us. Their problem was the hot tub didn't work. So Joanna called the condo's owner, who was a friend, and notified her of the problems. Since it was already evening and the repairman couldn't come right away, the owner suggested we use the hot tub at her house instead. She said, I'm out of town, but I have a caretaker who will meet you and let you in. So the caretaker was waiting when we arrived, and we soon discovered that he brought his wife and son with him. Robin and Joanna entered the home first while I parked the car in the snow, and as Robin entered, a darling strawberry blonde toddler trotted over to her. He lifted his arms and allowed her to scoop him up. His surprised young mom told Robin his name was Toby. He was 18 months old and usually not that friendly with strangers. That's the scene I entered into, Robin holding this adorable toddler, And as I walked through the door, Toby's mother turned to me and froze. 
In a shaking voice, she said, It's you! You're the one who spoke at the luncheon two years ago. I nodded, even though I wasn't sure what event she was speaking about. She said, Do you remember how you shared your story? You talked about being a teen mom and that you prayed that God would send you a Christian husband. And I nodded. If you don't remember my... If you, I don't know if you remember my telling you this after the luncheon, but I had just found out I was pregnant. As I peered into her beautiful face, it all came back to me. This was the young woman who had stood to the side and waited until everyone else left. Her eyes had been wide and filled with fear. I remember you, I told her, reaching out my hand to take hers, but I can't remember your name. Kelly, she reminded me. I had an abortion scheduled just a few days later. Kelly gazed at Toby cuddled up in Robin's arms. But after I heard your story and what you said about how God answered your prayers, I canceled the appointment and I prayed for a husband just like you did. Her smile widened and tears formed in her eyes. I always wanted to see you again so I could tell you that God answered my prayers. He brought an amazing Christian guy into my life. Dave loves me and he loves my son. We've been married for almost a year. When I think about what my life would be like right now if I hadn't heard your story and I hadn't done what you suggested. And then her voice trailed off. By then we were hugging and crying and hugging some more. Toby climbed into my arms and received my cuddles and kisses. It was such a beautiful moment. Light and hope seemed to fill the room. That night I thanked God for the miracle encounter. And it was a miracle. It just so happened that our hot tub hadn't been working. And also just so happened that Dave had brought Kelly and Toby along for the ride. The place that Kelly and I met the second time was over 100 miles away from where we met the first time. God used this encounter to remind me of the power of sharing our stories. Not just the good parts, but the pain and the heartache too. Now, does it remind you of that little song? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Kelly's story likely would have turned out differently if I'd kept my story to myself. I speak a lot these days, but I never wanted to be a professional speaker. My passion has always been writing. As a young Christian, the only public speaking I'd done was for my college speech class. And each time I spoke in front of a group, my knees quivered so much so the teacher asked me if I needed to sit down. Yet, through the years, as I studied God's word and grew as a Christian, I knew that the transformation in my heart wasn't something to keep to myself. God made this directive very clear in his word. And this is from Matthew 5, 14-16. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Instead, they set it on a lampstand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I can't imagine any child who's grown up going to Sunday school and not knowing that song, This Little Light of Mine, I'm going to let it shine. My Sunday school teacher explained letting the light shine meant sharing Jesus with those we knew. So even though I was a timid child, I invited friends to vacation Bible school. I understood even then that the world was a dark place that needed Jesus' light. And I liked hearing stories about how Jesus changed people. I remember listening to the church members and visitors tell their stories about how God had saved them from drugs, sex, and cults. And that was the early 80s after all. I can't remember many sermons I heard growing up. But I do remember when people talked about how God saved them, changed them, and how he was using them. But in the early years after I became a Christian, I resisted telling others about what Jesus had done for me. My sin was so dark. The last thing I wanted to tell people was that I had had two teenage pregnancies and an abortion. Yet I couldn't share about my soul's transformation without revealing where I'd been and what I'd done. When I finally started telling my story, I spoke in smaller settings. Like the teen mom support group, whenever people suggested I share it with larger groups, I brushed their comments aside. But when Pastor Daniel asked me to speak in front of the church, I told him I'd think about it. Still, God wouldn't let me shake the feeling that I should do it. In my daily Bible reading, I kept running across passages like, 
For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. And that's Ephesians 5.8. It wasn't a suggestion, but a command. To live as a person of light was to spread the good news of Jesus, the light, through the world. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. My children would sing, piercing my soul. The conviction grew that God was opening a door for me to share my story in a wider context and that I needed to walk through it. What has God done in your life, friend? Yes, I'm talking to you. Where has he healed you, forgiven you, protected you? That is the story you need to share. Our stories assure others that we've been where they've been, that we understand. They also offer hope that healing and change is possible. So, wow, that was a long introduction, but the whole point is this. Our stories matter. Today, I'm talking with my friend, Ginger Hubbard, and she is going to share her story of coming to God and what he has done in her life. And it's pretty amazing. So please listen in and then pray about how you can share your story. I guarantee there is someone who needs to hear it today. Welcome, Ginger. Hello, Trisha. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm really excited to get to talk with you and encourage your listeners today. You know, I think so many of us need to be encouraged. And I know, like, I had a rough teenage years. Mm -hmm. I'm dealing with some hard stuff with some of my teens now. And I think it does really help because knowing that redemption in Christ is part of your story, I think we all just kind of need that little boost. So first of all, thank you for being here. Um, but I know that you had a lot going on in your teen years. You did not grow up a, in a Christian home. Mm-hmm. So just tell me a little bit about that. Okay. Yeah. I love to share my story because it really is a story of the redemption of Christ. Mm -hmm. But I think what's so amazing about my story is that it can be anyone's story, no matter what their circumstances are, because Jesus offers his redemption and his mercy and his grace to anyone and everyone who puts their hope and their trust in him. And so, yes, you're right. I did not grow up in a Christian home. My parents actually did not come to know Jesus until they were in their early 40s. So I didn't grow up in a Christian home. But I did grow up in a very loving home and I had a daddy who wanted to give me everything. And so he pretty much gave me everything. (laughs) Trisha, just to give you an idea, by the time I was 17, I was on my third car, which was a fire red 300 ZX with T-tops and an airbrush tag on the front that said spoiled rotten. So there you go. Okay. So (laughs) Was just completely opposite. I I didn't know my biological dad. My stepdad was very uninvolved. So I was like, your type of dad was the one I was probably like, yes, I want something like that. <laughs> I had a very good daddy. I still do. <laughs> so my parents, um, they did not become Christians. Um, until I was 18 years old. But what's so interesting is that even before that, my parents were very moral people Mm. who really lived a more conservative life than a lot of the church-going people we knew. And so as a family, we pretty much viewed Sundays as a day to sleep in and unwind and just do what we wanted to do rather than a day set apart for worshiping God. I'd say we pretty much viewed people who chose to attend church on Sundays Uh, probably at worst as hypocrites and it's best Mm -hmm. as people who just needed to feel better about themselves. Now, I will say for me personally, um, just a little history there. I did believe in God. I always believed in God because God creating everything that just made more sense to me than evolution. But like as far as heaven and hell and where people would spend eternity, I figured that if I lived a reasonably good life and was good to people and didn't do anything really bad, which I pretty much had blown that by the time I was 18, um, I figured that I would go to heaven. And that was pretty much my parents' philosophy as well, until someone explained to them that it really doesn't matter how good of a person Mm -hmm. you are or how moral of a person you are. The only way to heaven is through Jesus. And so my parents asked Jesus to be their Lord and Savior. And of course, as soon as they began to know him, they began to love him. And they wanted nothing more than for me to know and love him too. 
But Tricia, I didn't want to change the way I was living and I sure didn't want to spend my Sundays going to church. And so we had always been a really close family. But when my parents became Christians, that is pretty much when my rebellion began. And that's so interesting that you would say that because, um, you know, we we think, oh, here's so many stories of, you know, I was raised in a Christian home, but then I decided my go to go my own way. Well, you were already kind of going your own way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then suddenly your parents are like, okay, wait, you turn. And by 18, I think there's so much there. And I just remember those teen years. And I believed in God, too. I had grown up going to church. My mom was a Christian. My stepdad wasn't. But I remember during that time, like, I didn't want to think about God because I really just wanted to do what I wanted to do. My mm-hmm. heart was like towards guys and relationships and mm-hmm. wanting that love. Yep. And I think so many times that is where the root of that rebellion begins, where we just we want what we want. And we don't want to hear something that's mm-hmm. going to take us away from what we really want mm-hmm. or what we think we want. What, what we, we think, think we want. Happy. Yes. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. I can totally relate to that. That's how I was, too. I found, you know, so much of my identity and in boys and relationships that were not uh, healthy relationships. And I thought those things were making me happy, but they absolutely were not. So our, our, I've heard your testimony. I've heard you on Focus on the Family yeah. and a couple of other places. And um, so I'm pretty familiar with a lot of your testimony. And we have uh, we share a lot of similarities in some of the things that we went through. So I'm trying to picture your parents. Okay, they they are like, okay, we have found it. Like, this is it. And of course, your daddy, who wanted to give you everything, mm-hmm. you know, physically, now he's like, okay, <laughs> you know, there's something more than this. How did that, wh- what happened then? Because I could just see, yep. I could almost imagine that struggle there. Yep, yep. So they, their lives were dr- dramatically transformed. And so then all of a sudden they realize, you know, that my soul is in eternal danger. But I didn't have the Holy Spirit like they mm-hmm. did. So I didn't understand that danger. And because I didn't grow up in church, I mean, Tricia, I knew nothing about God and the Bible. I didn't even know that Noah built the ark or Jonah was swallowed by a well or David Coke. I mean, I knew nothing. And I just thought that religion was religion. And I had no idea that there was a difference in being a religious person and actually having a personal relationship with Jesus. And so I thought my parents had just completely completely gone off their rocker and gotten mixed up in some sort of a cult. And it's it's funny because I can actually remember praying to a God I didn't know to please get my parents out of this cult. <laughs> I can remember being on my knees and praying for God to get them out of this cult. And, and so, but thankfully he did not answer my prayers the way I wanted him to, because I began to see these drastic changes in my parents. And most of them were changes that honestly, I did not like because Mm -hmm. you see, I was spoiled, as I said, and as a teenager with a pocket full of money and plenty of freedom, I didn't appreciate the new family rules, like having to attend church and Sunday school every Sunday. And I didn't like that all of a sudden, you know, I had all this freedom and then all of a sudden I have to answer all of my parents' ridiculous questions. You know, Tricia, you have teenagers, those ridiculous parental questions like, where are you going or who are you going with? (laughs) Yeah. So I completely rebelled against their authority. Talk to us about that rebellion because I think, I mean, you know, I think rebellion is at different levels. <laughs> like some mm-hmm. friends are like, oh, I, I talked back to my parents. Some are like, oh, I took off for three months across the United States and did what I wanted. For me, it was sneaking out to be with my boyfriend, mm-hmm. telling them I was in one place. Mm-hmm. But I remember my mom, she would set the odometer, re- like reset the odometer. It says she'd see how many miles I drove. Well, I just got like <laughs> drove for an hour and then reset it myself and then, you know, I'm like, that that did not really work and so those are my I mean mine were definitely like going with friends places I shouldn't and uh-huh. sneaking out to be my boyfriend like those uh-huh. were my rebellion so what did your rebellion look like? well you know Trisha I think we were separated at birth because everything you just said I did and I you know when I would sneak out in the middle of the night I remember I was so clever thought I was being clever that I would actually not crank the car I would like push the car, put it in neutral and push it out of the driveway and then kind of push it down the street a little bit before I cranked it. I I was good. I was really good. So we're we're giving people all the, all the secrets (laughs) of my life. I hope their teenagers are not listening right now. (laughs) Don't do this. (laughs) Turn it off if they're listening. No, we're going to get to the good stuff. Some stuff that I think the teens will be encouraged to hear actually. Yeah. So, so, yeah, those, so it was the same type of things then I was kind of seeking out. Yeah. 
Yeah, everything that I've heard about your testimony, I'm like, we were separated at birth. So. <laughs> well, I think it is like just that desire of the teenage heart yeah. to be yep. loved, to be yep. wanted, to be, you know, oh, just so many things. Um, so what did your parents do? Because, you know, okay, suddenly they're like, okay, this is the way. And you're like, uh, mm-hmm. no. <laughs> yep. Yep. So um, I, you know, pretty much just started uh, rebelling against their authority. And when I... I did that. I remember my daddy, this is like a really defining moment. He came into my bedroom one night and he knelt beside my bed mm. and I will never forget what he said. He took my hands in his and with tears just streaming down his face, he said, little girl, that's what he always called me, little girl. He said, little girl, I need to ask your forgiveness. He said, I have been a failure as a father because I've tried to win your love by every giving you everything that you ever wanted, but mm. I have left out the most important thing, and that's Jesus Christ. And I will never forget it, Tricia, because in all my years, I had never seen my daddy cry. And to be honest with you, I didn't like seeing him cry, and I didn't like the God who was making my daddy feel like a failure. And so I wrapped my arms around him, and I assured him that he had not been a failure, but he had been the best daddy in the world. And so as my parents developed a closer relationship with the Lord, they found this verse in the Bible that they sort of adopted as our new family theme, and it was Joshua twenty four fifteen which says, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. They had no intentions of compromising their newfound faith in God, and they so wanted me to share in that faith too. And so they began to tighten the reins uh, because they knew the kind of life I was living. They knew that I was involved in underage and irresponsible drinking. Mm -hmm. Uh, They had found evidence of what my boyfriend and I had been up to. And, you know, it's interesting because so many people think that teenagers rebel and make bad choices because of peer pressure. And, you know, probably with a lot of them, if not even most of them, that's true. But I don't know about you, Tricia, but for me, that was absolutely not the case. I was the peer pressure. I did exactly what I wanted to do. And I had a way of talking everybody else into doing what I wanted to do. I was always the ringleader and the life of the party. Um, But back to my parents, they knew the kind of life that I was living and they knew that I was headed for destruction and they could not convince me to surrender my life to Jesus, no matter what they said or what they tried to do. And so um, all they knew to do was try and protect me by laying down rules, which I was Mm -hmm, not used to mm -hmm. rules. And when I didn't apply to these new family rules for the first time in my life, my daddy enforced consequences and he took away my freedom. And he took away my car and suddenly he wasn't the best daddy in the world anymore. (laughs) (laughs) And so I did not like what was happening in our family. And so I actually left home uh, my senior year of high school. So you just like moved out Mm -hmm. and your parents let you... Well, I'm, like, they didn't I'm, trying let to, me. I'm trying to wrap my, my my mind around this because I have, you know, I have 18 yep. year old in the home. I'm like trying to picture this right now. <laughs> yeah. No, there was no letting me. Uh, mm. I just waited until they weren't home. And then I packed everything up and I had a friend come get me and I was out of there. And so I moved in with my best friend and her mom and her sister because I just thought my parents new way of living and thinking was just completely ridiculous. Um, You know, my daddy likes to tell this story of when I was little and he said how I must have asked him a hundred questions a day. I was a very inquisitive child. And he said that one day I was riding in his truck with him and, you know, it's back when they didn't have seatbelts. So I'm standing beside him in his pickup truck with my arms around his neck while he's driving. You remember that? We were so (laughs) reckless back then. I mean, now you'd be put in jail if your kid didn't have a seatbelt on. And so, but he said that uh, I was riding his truck with him that day and he said I was pointing it everything in sight and saying, daddy, what's that? What's that? What's that? And he said, he was so worn out with all of my questions that he finally said, little girl, I don't know. (laughs) And he said, I looked at him all wide eyed and I slapped him on the shoulder and I said, oh, daddy, you know everything. He said, then when I became a teenager, I looked at him and I said, uh, you don't know anything. (laughs) And so I moved out at 18 and I got a job. 
And I did keep in touch with my parents and they continued to try to encourage me to begin a relationship with Jesus, but I just kept resisting. And it's like you said a little bit earlier, Trisha, I just didn't want to give up the things in my life that I thought were bringing me happiness. Right. And I didn't want to follow a bunch of do's and don'ts and thou shalt not. And that's pretty much what I thought Christianity was all about. Um, you know, like I said, I thought it was nothing more than a cult, a sort of bondage to legalistic rules. But what I didn't realize is that bondage is when we habitually indulge in activities and thoughts and lifestyles that promise these great satisfactions, but only wind up delivering these shallow pleasures that quickly lead to depression and guilt and regret. But the more I indulged in the things that I thought was going to bring me happiness, the more unhappy and empty I felt. And I've heard you talk about this before. You know as well as I do that that is the ultimate lie. Yeah. Sin always promises what it can never deliver. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so what teenagers and, and even a lot of adults who are searching for satisfaction in all the wrong places don't realize, and what I didn't realize at the time, is that sin is enslaving, not satisfying. John 8, 34 says, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. But the good news is that Jesus has paved the way to freedom. And I love that two verses down in verse 36, we're told that if the sun sets you free, mm -hmm. you are free indeed. And so, you know, my testimony like yours, we both found that true freedom is in loving and obeying and serving the Lord Jesus Christ. But like many people, I didn't understand that. And so I rebelled. If you're like me and you love Christmas books, check out Have Yourself a Christensen Christmas, a holiday story from your favorite small town family by Susan May Warren. It's Christmas in the winter wonderland town of Deephaven. Grace is worried about her husband's life-changing illness. Eden is facing devastating news. Casper isn't over his head, of course. Amelia is dodging a walk down the aisle. Owen, well, Owen just nearly died again, but it's Derek who has news that just might destroy the family legacy. This year, spend Christmas with your favorite small town family. Have yourself a Merry Christian Christmas, available on November 25th at your favorite book retailer. Yeah, and, and we do have those hard hearts, for one, because we want our way. And then looking back at my teen years, I, I could see myself groping around, like in darkness, trying to find something, trying mm -hmm. to find satisfaction. There's no light there. And I think so many times if we do have that in our past, we think, what was I thinking? What was I doing? Well, we were in darkness. Like there was no light there. And just like if you're, you know, the, the power goes out your house and you're just groping around trying to find something. You're running into stuff. You're getting hurt. You're hurting others. You're tripping over. I mean, that's what it is living in darkness. And that's what you talk about. Yeah, um, that's a good illustration. Yeah, yep. and, and so it is. It's like the world is darkness and we are searching. We are grasping. We're, but it's all a lie. Um, and you know, we have the hard hearts. I mean, there's so much. And so I'm so thankful that you and I are both on this side of the conversation. We could say, but God, like, but God transformed us. So I would love to hear, um, like when did that transformation start to happen in your heart? Well, I, I know that one of the ways that God began to suffering, uh, soften my heart was um, through my parents' mm -hmm. unwavering commitment and love for Jesus. And um, you see, I knew that my parents loved me because um, we were a super close family always, even before they were Christians. But I had watched my parents for three months put their love for Jesus above their desire to appease me. Wow! And because of that, that was so different. Mm -hmm. And because of that, I knew that he was real. And I knew that his love had to be more powerful than any love that I had ever known. And I think that's one reason why walking with Jesus and not compromising in our commitment to him is so powerful. It's because it shows other people how real he is. 
God used my parents' obedience to him to ultimately convict my heart. And I think for, you know, parents who might be listening that have rebellious teens, I think that's crucial for us to understand our kids, especially our teens, they're not going to respect our willingness to compromise our faith to appease them or to avoid conflict. And so I'm so thankful for my parents and the way they asked God for wisdom. And I'm also thankful that they were obedient to act on that wisdom, which let me tell you, that was really hard for them because during that time that I had left home as a senior in high school, my parents really struggled with letting me come back home and living however I wanted to live. Oh, because I they bet. Missed me. Yeah. Right. I mean, we were, we were so close and they missed me. And, um, so that separation, it was really hard on them. And because of that, they were tempted so many times to pick up the phone and compromise and just say, you know what? Okay, you don't have to obey our rules. You don't have to show respect for us. You can live however you want to live. We won't say one word. We just want you to come back home. But instead, they remain faithful to stand on the truth of God's word and to put their trust in him to do a work in my heart. And I know, especially, I mean, I remember this, the guilt trip <laughs> and some of my kids today, like, if you love me like this, or, you know, I just want this and we mm-hmm. can, you know, what about this? I mean, the compromises and I, it has been hard, mm-hmm. you know, having even teenagers in my home now, it's like, no, I love you. And yep. that's why I'm saying these things and mm-hmm. they and will watch so you, they will watch mm-hmm. you and all the other kids will watch. And, um, it is, and it's hard sometimes like to stand strong and my husband and I will like poke each other, like, don't don't cave don't cave yep. we, we said yeah you know, when we when we take away the phone because of bad choices is like okay we're not going to cave and just making mm-hmm. that firm statement I think we our kids will seem like they hate us in the moment but they mm-hmm. are they're watching us and they want us to so they want to see like if we're really going to stand by what we say Right. And one thing that you just said that really stood out to me is that you tell your kids, I'm doing this because I love you. Mm -hmm. Anytime we put consequences on our kids, you know, we always need to say this is not because this is not an I'll show you or a boy, you're going to get it now mentality. This is I love you too much to allow you to disobey and to live foolishly. And so we always, I love that you said that because that is an important part is it's not to get revenge or it's all about our love for them and, and our desire for them to live, um, in wisdom instead of foolishness. And God has placed us as the authority over them to encourage them to do that and to train them to do that. And when necessary, um, to put some consequences when they're not doing that, because when consequences, uh, uh, are, the consequences are certainly a very small part of right. parenting, very small part. But I think that when they're necessary and we're diligent to enforce them the right way in love and in self-control, that that sends a message to our kids um, about the law of the harvest, that God has built the principle of sowing and reaping into their worlds. And with that lesson comes wisdom. And so that is a lesson that we want to um, encourage and follow through with instead of avoid. Yeah. And I think, you know, so many times as a parent, when we see our kids going through this, this, these hard times, we're like, God, fix this like now. Mm-hmm. And yep. I mean, praying for one child that is not living like I would like her to right now. I mean, God clearly, like it had to be his voice in my mind because it was, um, you know, answered prayer is not a quick fix. Like I'm working, I'm working, you know, you're mm-hmm. lo- keep loving her. I know that I'm working, but it doesn't mean like tomorrow everything's Mm going to change. Like it takes months sometimes it takes years sometimes. And I know that how hard even those months, your parents, I mean, I can't imagine like just the grieving that was going on Uh, and to know that like, I, you know, I'm sure they wanted you home now, but it was Mm -hmm. a process. And I would love to hear like, what was that process? Cause you know, we're both, both you and I are looking back. So -hmm. what was that time where you were really able to surrender? Well, um, I had been gone, you know, moved out um, for about three months, maybe a little bit longer. And it was after midnight and my parents were just emotionally exhausted Mm -hmm. and beyond discouraged because they really thought that I would have, you know, come back home and uh, come along to their way of thinking by now. And they were just at the point that they were just about to break down and call me and tell me that I could come home and live however I wanted. They just wanted me to be home. But instead, they did what they always did. And they got down on their knees in the living room and they cried out to God. And they prayed about this new verse that they had just found in the Bible because they were still pretty new Christians. Yeah. 
And it was 1 Corinthians 10, 13 that talks about God being faithful when we're tempted. And it said, I will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And they were so brokenhearted and just had so much pain and so much hurt over me leaving. And they were just honest with God. And they told him that it really seemed to be more than they could bear. But at the same time, they wanted to trust him and they wanted to follow his lead. And as they prayed for God's strength, they said this total peace washed Mm. over them. And Trisha, it was at that very moment that I came charging through the front door, a broken person who needed hope and healing, a person who two weeks earlier had walked into an abortion Mm. clinic and bought into one of the biggest lies of all times. And I remember so well that night that I came home and how God softened my heart Um, It's like I said, I was already asleep. It was after midnight and I wasn't even considering going back home. It wasn't even on my radar. And I just woke up feeling so depressed, so empty and so hopeless. I absolutely hated myself and I was miserable over uh, just with guilt Mm -hmm. over all the choices that I had made, especially the abortion. And, you know, let me just say that at the time, I I didn't understand why it was wrong, because like I said, I did not grow up in church. I didn't know anything about the sanctity of life, about um, God knitting us together in our mother's wombs. I knew nothing of that. The only thing that I knew was what the clinic had told me, which was that it wasn't a baby at all. It was just a blob. But as soon as I left that clinic, and this is what is so interesting, I knew in my heart that was not true. I knew that I had just made one of the most selfish um, and worst decisions that I had ever made. And I knew that I was going to regret it for the rest of my life. It did not bring relief like they told me that it would at the clinic. In fact, it brought on the opposite of what they promised. It brought on uh, just a suffocating and consuming bondage of guilt and shame. And so uh, back to that night that God softened my heart, like I said, I was already asleep and I just woke up out of nowhere, just out of the blue and just started thinking about my parents and about the peace and the joy that they had found in Jesus. And it was a peace and joy that I wanted. And so when I woke up that night, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. Why am I running from this? Mm -hmm. And so I called my boyfriend and I asked if he could give me a ride home because you remember my daddy had taken away my car, so I still didn't have a car. And even though it was after midnight and my boyfriend was also in high school, his mom answered the phone and she was thrilled to let, to wake him up and let him come get me and take me home because she was one of the many Christians that had been praying for me to go back home and to come to know the Lord. And so when I got home and I walked into the living room that night where my parents had just been on their knees crying out to God. Um, They were just getting up from praying and I came charging through that front door and I said, you know what? I'll follow your rules. You can chain me to my bed in my bedroom if you want to, because I'm going to do what you say because I want what you've got. And I told my daddy, I said, I want to know Jesus, but I, I just don't know how. And words cannot express how freeing it was that night as I prayed with my parents and I surrendered my life to Jesus. It felt so good because what I had been experiencing wasn't freedom. Mm -hmm. It was bondage and it was miserable. And we think that it's freedom. And just like you, that clinic said, it's just a blob of tissue because I had an abortion when I was 15. It's just mm-hmm. a blob of yep. tissue. We're just going to scrape it away, which I found out later because I, I think it was about 11 weeks that there was mm-hmm. definitely more. But I didn't know at the time. And mm-hmm. that's another thing, too. Like there wasn't all the pro-life messages. And even though I had gone to church, grown up in church, I had never heard about the sanctity of life. It just was, you know, this was back in 1987. Mm-hmm. I mean, this it was not out there. But the pain and the shame. I didn't get pregnant mm-hmm. again at 17. So I just yeah. remember, and it was as a pregnant teenager, the same thing you said, like, I am so miserable, but I know God, like you were looking at your parents. I was looking at women from the church that just had this peace and joy. And it is looking at someone else and saying, I want that. And I opened my heart to God, just like you open your heart to God. And mm-hmm. I mean, that is God shows us his mercy. He shows us his love. And that poured into me. It sounds like it poured into you too. Mm-hmm. And that changes everything but then you know you're still in these life situations so you know what happened after that 
like how was my, how did my life change as a teenager? Because yeah. I'm still a senior in high school. Yeah. And so the more I read my Bible and prayed, the hungrier mm. I became to know Jesus more. And this is how it is for anybody that seeks him. Yep. The more I knew him, the more I loved him and the more I wanted to serve him and the more I wanted to tell other people about him. I wanted to shine his light into the lives of others the same way that he had used my parents to shine his light into my life. And I knew that I needed the encouragement of some Christian friends to help me do that. And so I don't remember if it was my, I think it was my parents. It may have been my mentor um, that showed me the verse in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 that said, let us consider how we might spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some in the, are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And so it was over a weekend when I called my boyfriend and had him take me home and prayed to receive Christ. So that was over a weekend and I knew, knew that come Monday morning at school, I had a choice. Hmm. I could either act as if nothing happened and jump right back in with my friends, all of whom I loved so much. I was super close to all of my friends. Um, and I could just go right back into that lifestyle that I was comfortable with, or I could take a stand for Jesus and risk my friends not understanding and turning away from me. And I know you probably remember how important our friends are at oh, that yeah. age. And my friends had been my life for many years, and I was terrified of that, how they were going to respond to my new commitment to God. But at the same time, I cared too much about them to let my fear keep me from telling them and living out that good news of Jesus, I wanted them to know the joy and the peace and the freedom that I had found. And so I chose to take a stand and I will never forget that moment in my life. It was in the Auburn High School cafeteria. Any <laughs> Auburn fans out there, War Eagle, I'm still in this town. And do I have time to tell this story? It's pretty brief. You're good. But it's just, You're good. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I love this story. So I was l late getting into the lunchroom. And I had just gotten my tray of food and I looked over to where all of my friends were sitting and they were already sitting where we always sat. And I saw that they were cutting up and laughing and I knew they were probably talking about all the unwholesome things that had gone on over the weekend mm -hmm. and probably making plans for the unwholesome things that would go on the next weekend because that's what we did. And there in the middle of all of my friends was one empty seat. And that is the seat that I, where I had always sat. It was the seat where I was comfortable and I wanted to go over there so badly. And then I looked across the cafeteria and saw what I had always referred to as the Jesus freak table or the holy <laughs> roller table. And this is where, of course, all the Christians sat. And this is the group that I had openly ridiculed and made fun of for years they always sat together and everybody knew that they were Christians because they always held hands and prayed before mm. they ate. And there in the middle of that group was one empty seat. And I knew what God wanted me to do, but I cannot even begin to describe to you the battle that went oh, on I, in my I heart that day. I can imagine, yeah. Yeah. As I stood in the middle of that cafeteria, holding my tray of food and trying to decide which path to take, it was such a pivotal moment in my life. And I just stood there thinking, you know, do I take the path back to my old life where I'm so comfortable with all of my friends that I love so much? Or do I take the path of God and take a stand for Him? And I remember standing there, my whole body was shaking and I started crying because it was just so hard. Mm -hmm. And I finally, I don't know how many minutes I stood there, but I finally walked over to the table where those Christians sat and I took my place in that empty seat. And Tricia, I didn't know any of their names, but I felt certain they knew mine <laughs> <laughs> to say that they looked shocked would have been an understatement. And I was just so upset. I sat down and I just looked down and I couldn't even eat. I was just crying. And we just sat there in this uncomfortable silence for what seemed like an eternity. And then finally, one of them spoke up and said, um, Ginger, can I ask why you decided to come and sit with us today? And he actually actually looked a little afraid of what I might say. <laughs> is it a dare I, or what's yeah, going on here? What, what is she about to do? And, um, and I just explained that I wanted to know Jesus better. And that I needed to be around people that could show me how to do that. 
And right there at that table in the Auburn High School cafeteria, they took turns praying for me. They prayed that I would find strength in my new relationship with Jesus. And, you know, I just want to add one quick thing there. This isn't to say that we should have nothing to do Mm -hmm. with non-Christian friends, because whether we're 18 or 80, we can't lead them to Christ if we shut them out of our lives. Right. But at the same time, we shouldn't blend in with our lifestyles either. We need to draw strength from Christ-centered friendships, ones where we do spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And then we can let the overflow of that encouragement pour out into the lives of our friends who are lost. If we want Christ to rescue them from darkness, we need to shine his light into their worlds. But we can only do that by being different, by being set apart, by making that decision to live a life surrendered to Jesus. I can give some examples of this. I mean, that was very clear of, you know, walking across the cafeteria. But I think in our lives, there's always these choices. I remember even as a young mom, like I used to grow up watching soap operas with my mom. And the the day I thought, you know what, this is not good for me. I'm not going to watch the soap operas or whatever. Mm -hmm. I think there's so many of us that have those points in our lives where we are going to go one way the way that's comfortable, the way that's familiar, we get some small satisfaction or like God's leading us a different way, whether it is towards new Mm -hmm. friendships, towards new habits, you know, towards, I mean, whatever it is in our lives, we all are at that crossroads. Um, And I think this gives Mm -hmm. me so much encouragement for all of us on so many levels. First of all, I think we do need to take those steps towards where we know God is leading us no matter how hard it is. And I, I just can picture you just trembling, going and sitting down. Mm -hmm. But I think as a parent right now, I'm like, okay, this is encouraging me because your parents were brand new Christians. And I think even those of us who've been Christians for a while, there is that struggle there where we Mm -hmm. want our kids to like us. We want to make them happy, but we do have to put those boundaries up. And I know both you and I speak to parents a lot. We hear a lot. We hear their hearts a lot. And I think it's Mm -hmm. so important what you just shared um, about being able to not compromise um, and, you know, how we can stand firm trusting God, which was super hard for your parents. So, you know, looking back at your rebellion and how your um, parents handle things, what encouragement do you give to those parents out there that might be dealing with something with their own kids? Well, one thing that I was really thankful for um, that my parents did is they kept talking to me about Jesus Mm -hmm. and the difference that he was making in their lives during my rebellion. And even though I didn't want to hear it, I totally didn't want to hear it, but they just kept telling me about the scriptures that God was speaking to them through and about the freedom and the joy that they had found in Jesus and how it was so much better than the shallow and fleeting satisfactions of the world. And even though I didn't believe as they did, they remained faithful in sharing their daily testimony of who Jesus is and what he was doing in their lives and what he's done for all of us. And Jesus used the testimonies of my parents to draw me to himself. And so I think as, as parents uh, with rebellious teenagers, that's key. Mm-hmm. Teens can argue when we try to force our own convictions on them, but they can't argue with our personal testimonies about who Jesus is to us and the difference he's making in our lives. And so my parents didn't back up, let up, or shut up about their love for Jesus and about what he was doing uh, and what he meant to them personally. And because of that, I came to know him personally. Yeah. And I think, you know, I've read the statistics before that we think that with our teenagers, that their friends are the biggest influence or what they see on TV. But over and over again, kids, non-Christian, Christian, everybody will say Mm -hmm. their parents are Mm -hmm. the biggest influence. And I think sometimes I'm blown away because I think they're not even listening to me. They're not paying attention. And I've seen now that I have adult kids that are my my oldest is in his early 30s. And he'll say, Mm -hmm. remember when you said, and I was like, I was sure you were not listening at all. Or, you know, (laughs) even our prayers. I mean, it does make such a a big impact, which I I know Mm -hmm. why we both just want to encourage parents and inspire Mm -hmm. parents. I love your books. And we often talk about the same message in our books. I think we're, Mm -hmm. we are like so on the same wavelength. I love it. But also I know you have a new podcast. So I want to hear more about that because I know my listeners that are maybe in that spot or parents at, at all will just find so much hope and encouragement with the messages. So tell us more about that. Yeah, thank you. I am so excited. This is this is the 
I'm the most excited about this than anything I've ever done, but uh, started a podcast. It's called Parenting with Ginger Hubbard, and we've only released six episodes. It released February 1st, and uh, but we're just getting such a great response. Mm. It's really encouraging the response we're getting. And so it's a weekly podcast. We air a new episode every Monday where our primary goal is to encourage and equip parents to reach beyond outward behavior, address the issues of the heart, and point their children to the transformational power of Christ. And from a practical standpoint, we really love to help parents move past the frustrations of not knowing how to handle issues of disobedience and defiance and into a confident and biblical and really well-balanced approach to raising their children. And so uh, you can subscribe to it. It's Parenting with Ginger Hubbard anywhere you listen to podcasts, uh, or you can get more information about it on my website, which is gingerhubbard.com. I talk a lot about uh, some of the episodes coming up on Instagram at ginger.hubbard. Yeah. And I think that's what parents need. They need the encouragement because our, I think our first tendency is to like tighten it down and really be mean and make them listen to us. But you know, if we're not reaching their heart and if we're not um, in prayer, praying for them, if we're not, um, you know, encouraging them in the ways that we can, we're going to really close off our kids' hearts. And I love Mm -hmm. how you just continue to share about relationship and about positive things we can do. It's not just about making more rules because that never Mm -hmm. works. And so I know that parents will find so much encouragement for that. So I'm excited about that too. Um, But as we wrap up today, okay, again, they can find everything, um, like you said, at gingerhubbard.com. But what just piece of encouragement can you leave with us today? Maybe just that last morsel that someone can, can hold on to. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so I would say to parents with rebellious teens or even parents with young children who have either not yet accepted Christ or are still really young in their faith, I encourage you to speak up about mm. who Jesus is to you and what he's doing in your life and pray that he would use your passion and your love for Jesus to win their hearts. So just simply talk about it. It doesn't have to be the sit-down Bible study. We never sat down and did family devotionals. I mean, hats off to people that that works, but yeah. it just it, that didn't work for us. I love it families where it does. But I think that if we talk about Jesus just all the time, the life-giving truths of his word, as we sit at home, as we walk along the road, as we lie down and as we get up, not necessarily this fixed time, um, that we can... Um, we can just really encourage our kids when we do that. And and parents who are listening, just remember that no matter where you're starting, whether it's with a rebellious teen or a young and impressionable child, God's word does not return void, which means his word will accomplish what he set it out to do. I love that so much. This is so encouraging for me and for, I know all those other parents out there, but thank you, Ginger, for just continuing to pour into parents. It really Mm -hmm. means a lot. Thank you, Tricia. Thanks for letting me encourage your listeners. Thank you for tuning in to the Tricia Goyer Show. I hope you received help and inspiration. That's what I'm here for. Now, remember, if you would like to submit a question, email it to hello at trishagoyer.com and I can't wait until we connect again.